0: Sometimes, in order to keep an important issue alive, you have to work to keep it in the forefront of folks' minds beyond the 24, 48, or even two week news cycle. And you have to care about the issue. Hello, this is Todd Littleton with Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian, where the podcast explores the intersection of life, faith, and thinking theologically. While we describe ourselves as for the pastor theologian, we're certainly uh, interested to lure in anyone who's interested in how it looks to uh, think through issues, events, our experience, our very lives through the lens of uh, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So we're glad you're uh, tuning in, and if you're new, thanks for listening. If you're Uh, Continuing listener, uh, always uh, glad for your support. Uh, Help us out by sharing the podcast. Uh, Get us out there so folks can know you can rate and review in iTunes. We'd be forever grateful. Today on the podcast, uh, I have a conversation uh, that was recorded a few weeks ago uh, with Tear Hardy of Crackers and Grape Juice fame and Amy Butler, who is the pastor at Riverside Church in New York City. Uh, a few years ago, uh, two I think to be exact, Amy did a God and Guns uh, event and she's going to do that again this fall. And so we have a discussion that was spurred in the aftermath of the parkland shooting. And so uh, I hope you'll tune in, listen in, think carefully, and maybe you'd want to participate. There are going to be a number of simulcast, uh, locations around the country. So if you, you'd be unable to make it to New York City, uh, you may be able to find access right where you are. So here's uh, that crossover podcast with uh, uh, Tier Hardy of Crackers and Grape Juice and Amy Butler.
1: Friends, and welcome to Crackers and Grape Juice, the podcast where we talk about faith without using stained glass language. Each week on Crackers and Grape Juice, we bring you a conversation with a theologian, pastor, author, or other podcaster to help you talk about faith, your own faith, without using the stained glass language that often muddies the waters when we think about faith, religion, and what it means to be a people of God. This podcast is hosted, produced, and presented by three United Methodist pastors, myself, Tear Hardy, the Reverend Jason Michelli, and the Reverend Taylor Mertens. If you want to find out more about the podcast, connect with us, the hosts, provide us with feedback, or even connect with a guest, head over to crackersandgrapejuice.com. There you'll find links to past episodes, future live events, and even links to subscribe to the podcast on a variety of different podcast platforms. While you're there, if you'd like to leave us a message on the SpeakPipe, we would love to hear from you and also include that in a future episode. Now, thanks for checking us out today. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Crackers and Grape Juice. Today's episode is a special one. I'm Tear Hardy, and I am joined here with my friend Todd Littleton of the Pathological Podcast for the Pastor Theologian. And we are joined by Amy Butler. Amy is the pastor of the Riverside Church in New York City, and she is also my dear friend. So, Amy, welcome to the podcast. So, Amy, I I wanted to have this conversation with you based off of a post that you put on Facebook back uh, on February 15. And so it was one day after the shooting uh, down in Parkland, Florida. And you you posted on there that in 2016, Riverside Church in New York City, which is where you are uh, the pastor, hosted a two-day conference called God and Guns. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about that conference and what the goals of it were and what the outcomes were?
2: Sure. Uh, so this was right after the shooting at Mother Emanuel when we got this idea um, to convene a gathering of ministers when we were targeting millennial ministers um, to to teach ministers how to talk about gun violence um, from a theological standpoint and and how to address it in churches, with the idea that if pastors can take this on as a matter of of faith that we can impact the larger a larger community because um, you know there are a lot of people who sit in the pews on Sundays who who own guns and I think all of us are feeling scared and uh, don't know what to do about this terrible plague that's going on in our country. And I I really feel like addressing gun violence is a theological issue and it's important for us to talk about it. But a lot of us are scared, right? Because it's also a very political issue and emotional issue and um so we put together this two day training that included a showing of the movie Armor of Light, which is an amazing documentary about Lucy McBath and her the death of her son and sort of how how someone's mind gets changed about guns and gun violence. And then we had a whole day of Uh, classes where we talked about like race and gun violence and preaching and teaching about gun violence and giving people resources and connections uh, to talk about this. And it was phenomenal. It was a wonderful experience, but we only had about 120 people there. And, um, we were kind of disappointed, you know, we thought we would reach a bigger audience and, um, we know now some things we we did wrong if we would ever do it again. And then after Parkland, I was like, you know what? We need to do this again. So we're going to try it again this fall.
3: So what did you what did you learn? I mean, I I don't know that um, uh, I would say anything was done wrong in trying to get uh, pastors, clergy together to talk about uh, guns from a theological perspective. Um, so, what's going to be what, what different? What are the things you learned in trying to reach a, a, a wider audience? What are some things that you learned?
2: Right. So, we started out targeting millennial pastors, and we quickly found that there there were both um, people from different generations who wanted to come, and people from different faith traditions. So, we had several muslim participants a lot of jewish participants and basically we 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 kept it too narrow and so this time it'll be open to anyone who wants to come including lay people or people who are not religiously affiliated so that was that was one mistake um and then one thing that we did not do then which we will do this time is create some way for people to engage from a distance like have several satellite locations where we're live streaming to reach a larger audience. Um, And so in a way I think 2016 was like our practice and 2018 is going to be much bigger and more accessible. That's my hope. So what was the, you know, your,
1: your, your answer there or your response that it's going to be a multi-site thing. Todd and I were trying to figure out how someone, uh, could, could attend from from a distance, so I'm I'm excited to hear that because that means I don't have to trek out possibly uh, to New York City. As, as, as,
2: so that I'd like to thing, do that, you know, but I mean, <laughs> people are intimidated by the city. It's very expensive to come here, although we did everything we could to <laughs> to make it more accessible and and we will have a tremendous number of scholarships and even corporate partnerships that it will make mm-hmm. it a lot easier for people to make it up here. But you know, like a lot of people are like, I can't tell my church that I'm going to Riverside church in New York to learn about gun violence. Cause that's so liberal, mm-hmm. you know? And um, so we have been working hard to cultivate partnerships with churches and synagogues in places like Charlottesville and Dallas and Charlotte and Minneapolis. And for example, when we had the conversation with uh, Doreen McKesson and Brene Brown, we, um, we live streamed it to several different locations and so that's been our practice and so we'll have the conference going on in different places um, so hopefully more accessible for people well uh, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe.
3: May not have gotten this far uh, in the details, but um, will those will those um, stream sites be built out as sort of regional pl- locations uh, as opposed to you know like at my church you know hey we want in on this and so um, we're we're not really in a metro or close. Um, or, or would it be such that you're looking for targeted, um, like simulcast sites, if you will, um, to, to promote?
2: Right. So, what what I'm going to do actually today is put on social media uh, a link to a mm-hmm. form, so I can sort of we can sort of begin to get a sense of how many congregations and um, communities are interested in uh, doing this. And say, for example, if if you and the church down the street are both interested, we'll connect you. To can do it together, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, we're excited for this to happen in as many places as possible.
1: Amy, I, I want to ask: how, how? What can we do to help people navigate the tension between wanting to uh, begin to speak out uh, and work uh, towards uh, greater safety when it comes to to firearms and weapons versus? the i can't say this to my congregation because i'll lose my job and my health care how, how do we navigate that that tension like i was at a a progressive youth ministry conference last year and there were multiple people there who said i cannot tell my church that i'm here i'm on vacation this week because if if they find out that i'm here i'm gone how do we begin to work the tension and depolarize this issue within the church
2: right so and before I say this let me just say that I know that I I am sitting in a place of privilege when it comes to this because I can say anything I want from my pulpit um, but I think we have to be honest with each other about the fact that in this moment in our life as religious leaders, um, we're gonna have to ask ourselves some hard questions about what we're willing to give up to proclaim what we need to proclaim I think, you know, I sit across the street from Union Theological Seminary, and the Sunday after Donald Trump was elected, all I could think about was um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and how he, he was a professor right across the street. And, you know, he despised Riverside because he thought it was full of, you know, white tepid liberals who weren't doing anything about what was going on in Europe. And um, and so he went down the street to Abyssinian. You guys probably know his story. But I think all the time about like what is this going to cost us? We, we need to we need to be honest with each other that if we're really going to do what we're called to do, we need to be ready to to lose to lose some things. Um, so that's one thing. The second thing is I think I think it is it is completely appropriate, and we can get most everyone to agree that children lying in pools of blood at school uh, is not compatible with the God of life and and new creation that we worship. So I think uh, we need to to practice and learn ways to talk about gun violence um, uh, as a, an issue of, um, of um, the kingdom of God and, and what is it that we're trying to create and promote as people of faith and, and as followers of Jesus in this world. And the other thing I would say is um, everybody connects to a story. And as pastors, we have a, a special uh opportunity to tell the stories of people like lucy mcbath to invite them into our congregations and um to to personalize these issues in ways that that people can engage and i i think that's some of the things we learned at this conference and i i think that um pastors who start going in that way um have the possibility of really engaging in honest conversation and maybe changing minds. You guys know relationships are the only things that change us. Um, So how do we broker those as pastors? And I think that's the work that we, we have to step up in this moment. What do you guys think about that?
1: uh, I, I live in this weird tension right now of, I, I went from a, um, conservative church to a pretty liberal church, both Methodist churches uh, in the last eight months, seven months since, since we moved back to Arlington and the uh, the things that I could say up here in Arlington are completely different from the things that I would have been able to say down in um, Chesapeake. And, it, you know, it, to go to the question, you know, what are you willing to lose over this? But this, it reminds me of the conversation that my wife and I had with my sister and her husband over the weekend uh, because and i was telling todd this earlier that uh, my nephews have an arsenal and i'm talking an arsenal of nerf guns right these and and mm. like automatic nerf guns like you just pull the trigger and it just keeps chucking out these little yellow foam darts at, and you can shoot the cat or the dog or whatever you want. But, um, and so my wife and I, we have a four-year-old son and we're trying to navigate now, how do we explain to Camden that he can't have those, that we're not mm. going to have those in, in our home. Uh, and that, mm. and then, you know, when we go to our nephew's house, how do we navigate that 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 situation with, my sister mm. and my brother-in-law uh, and establishing, you know, a different set of rules for Camden when he's there versus what my nephews have, have to do. Um, mm. And it's just this weird. And so I'm trying to, and, and so on the one hand, I'm now thinking, I'm, you know, I, I'm thinking about this theologically, but now trying to think about it from a, a, a practical standpoint, which is still theological. Wow. Uh, h- how do I navigate this tension? Uh, and then like what, what Todd um, mentioned to me earlier that, you know, I, I could get up in the pulpit and and speak about guns and the need uh, to keep our kids safe. And, and 80% of my church would nod their head. Yes. and be in full agreement. But then how do I then minister to that 20% and, and bring them around? And like, those are the questions that I'm now dealing with in my first round as at being a pastor,
2: you know, um, I wrote about this last year, but I have this strange relationship with a man named Todd Underwood, who is the owner of United Gun Group. It's an, it's an online gun trading company, and it's the company that sold George Zimmerman's gun that killed Trayvon Martin. Mm-hmm. He, um, he lives in the Midwest. He is a white man. He's an evangelical Christian. He represents everything that I disagree with and hate and um i talked about him in a sermon it's a long story how we connected, but he reached out to me and wanted to talk on the phone. And he's actually a really nice guy, which really pisses me off, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, he and I have stayed in relationship even though I'm furious at him all the time and he is at me and um, have been able to to say things like, um, Todd, take that down from social media. It's hurtful. And he'll say, thanks for pointing that out. Or, um, you know, right after Parkland, he posted on my Twitter, I guess you're going to politicize this. And all I could say was Todd, I feel like we can all do better. Mm. And he, he agreed with that. And so maybe, maybe just even getting there is somewhere.
3: Right. Yeah. I I think, I think that, um, if we're going to bring in that, that this is a subject that ought to be run through a theological grid. This isn't like the first time we've been at a controversial place. Uh, it, it's not as though we don't have the history of subjects that have come up and have been um, fraught with emotion, um, uh, more heat than light. And um, we can look back and see the ways that um, those were navigated and maybe find some resources and some help as well, I would think. And and so I think that, you know, some of the way to uh, uh, point out to that 20%, because I would be in a congregation that um, we have a lot of gun owners and I just had a conversation this week and, and it was a very calm, very, uh, uh, open conversation. And I'm certain that I'm the only one that had the view that I have. And, mm-hmm. and I think the way to, I think the way to bring that around is, is I think you have to work some parallel, um, uh, storylines. And mm. you point out, you you point out that, you know, I bet, I bet you would have thought this at one point in your life. And now you, now you, now you actually have a completely different perspective. What, you know, what prompted that, what prodded that, or you happen to be living in post um, antebellum South. So in what ways now are the dynamics of racism, although they're not, not, um, you know, we're not cured of that ill but what are the ways that now are different than what they used to be uh, as recent as um, 50 years ago, 60 years ago? And and I think that there's a way to draw in some of those um, events where, um, if you will, we came of age in in learning how to navigate um, rank hostilities and, and were able to overcome and see people we had never dreamed get, share the kind of relationship you are describing. And then maybe we could even work toward a better place.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, and so I have so many thoughts about this. I um I I was saying to some friends last night. This is why that this is this is why the church is so important. You know, this is this is why tending and nurturing communities of faith is so important because we have to be ready to respond uh, when issues like this arise in the, in our society. Um. So so that's one thing, and another thing is like, why isn't the church out in front on this issue? i just i'm i'm frustrated about that and um you know when i put that post up on facebook i got some criticism i always get criticism but i got some criticism um from folks like you know why are you doing this why are you wasting your time why why aren't you out there with with the marchers why you know and my answer to that is like look i just got to do something you know this isn't going to solve things, but um, I'm a pastor and I know pastors are having trouble navigating how we're going to talk about this. And I know the church is important and maybe this is something that can have some kind of impact. Um, and, and I guess that's all we can do, right? Each one of us, what's well, in I, front of us and how are we going to use it? You know?
1: When well, I love that you're coming at it from a theological standpoint versus the political talking points That that we hear, because I think that's part of just in my experience, the problem where people in the in churches and and clergy included aren't exactly sure how to talk about these issues because the political talking points are easier to understand and easier to defend or explain to someone else than diving into the theology of why. uh, Perhaps access to um, devices that were designed to kill um, that is contrary to the, the teachings of Christ. And then at the same time, the theological uh, perspective also helps us when we are engaged um, with posts like, you know, with headlines of hundreds gather at church for blessing ceremony featuring AR-15s, right? Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. those who are coming at this from a theological standpoint understand that Reverend Sean Moon and his group is not what we would consider a Christian church, but when news outlets like CBS News, you know, in their titles say this was a church, you know, we we have some work that we have to do there. And I think the theological perspective, that helps us more than anything. Because the political talking points haven't worked. I mean, that's that's exactly right. It hasn't worked. That's exactly so
2: far. right. That's exactly right. And, and pull back as far as you need to pull back, but please talk about this. I mean, you can talk about it in terms of um, how are we going to choose to live our lives in this world? Will we be motivated by fear or will we be motivated by love? And what what choice is God calling us to choose in this moment? Right. Um, if you can't talk about rifles in your in your in your pulpit, talk about fear, right. <laughs> and talk about why it is we're living in our houses with with arsenals of guns uh, rather than living with open hearts and open lives and open hands. Um, yeah, you so al- you almost sounded like yeah. a
1: United Methodist right there with your open hearts, open minds bit. <laughs> are
2: you are you yeah.
1: coming over to the dark side?
2: I am not. I'm not. <laughs> I have my beef with Methodists, as you know. But um, but yeah, but yeah. I'll borrow that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I th-
3: and I think I think what you point out, Amy, is 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 instrumental um, in the sense, well, in every sense, but in in particular, I'm thinking about. Um, how we how we approach the very character of our lives what kind of people do we want to be and i think the i think what heightens this this moment is there there have been there have been more issues than just um a shooting and i don't want to say just a shooting but we've spent the last nearly two years in a in a uh, uh coming to realize what deep divisions exist and as to the differing visions of what we want the world to look like and our place in it and i think your question where is the church is appropriate and i think why isn't the church leading is it is critical to answer because we we claim to have a completely different vision of our place in the world and the and the and what the world should look like if we're actually living in loving community with one another and and so I, I i think that is i think that's really really key and and again i think that squarely provides us a a link to to make this a theological conversation rather than a second amendment conversation
2: that's exactly right and and i feel like in my last experience at God and guns and Hopefully we can recreate this in the next one. Um, The skills that we're picking up um, when we're navigating how we talk about gun violence from a theological standpoint are also applicable to talking about other issues like immigration or, uh, you know, like other hot point issues that we better be addressing from our pulpits in this moment.
3: Uh, I can't. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, and I I think, again, when you describe nurturing community, that really emphasizes the relational to the point that uh, not only can you have experiences where you have connected with, a, a polar opposite in the midwest we've got to navigate those polar opposites in our congregation and uh, that's
2: exactly right and mm-hmm. and where in society today do we have these messy middle places hardly no. that there's nowhere we're right. so polarized and we're so you know we live in these echo chambers and to me the church is is a place where those sorts of conversations and, and messy dialogue has to has to be happening.
1: Amy, how do we create those those messy um, spaces within our church, within our communities, where, where where people can gather of differing backgrounds, differing theological beliefs, differing uh, political beliefs, and and not because I. I What I've noticed is is we live in a tension now where very quickly it turns into um, attacks and then we entrench ourselves in our corners and we we lose the ability to talk to one another and and acknowledge that there might be some merit to each other's opinions.
2: That's exactly right. And I think... That's why pastors engaging in this kind of training is so important because we're the ones we're like the the ringmasters of the circus, and <laughs> <laughs> that's like it's for real we are. You guys know that. <laughs> you guys know that. Um, and and I think it's going to take a different expression in each different setting, as you guys have, have pointed out. um, For for us at Riverside, um, I have to work really hard not to make our Sunday mornings political rallies and. um, you know, you guys would have different challenges, but the the key underneath it is we are responsible for encouraging our people to live with a higher level of dis-ease than they would like. Mm. You know, people come to church to feel comfortable, but that's not what the gospel calls us to. And as the pastors, we're the ones who have to nurture that ability to live with dis-ease. You know, we had, as I mentioned earlier, this conversation with um, Doreen Kesson and Brene Brown, and that was such a bizarre experience because it's like we've got all these white uh women in yoga pants, basically, uh, having a conversation with uh, Black Lives Matter activists and it was uncomfortable and we got a lot of criticism for that. And that makes me happy because that's what church should be, you know, a place where we talk about real hard things and we, love and respect each other enough to stay in the conversation.
1: Was the criticism and critique be, uh, because of the content of the conversation or because it made people uncomfortable and they didn't walk out of church, you know, feeling like they had their three points to go do whatever they're supposed to go do that week.
2: Per usual, it came from every direction. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and a, a lot of it was merited. Like, here we go again. Um, you know, you know, Black man has to help a white woman understand why racism is bad. You know, and I hear that. I hear it. I hear it. I hear it. And there's a whole bunch of suburban carpool driving moms in yoga pants who would have never met Doreen McKesson before. And now they're listening to Pod Save the People. Okay. So, um, yeah, I think that speaks to what I was saying before. To, To do this work, we're going to get criticism and we've got to be ready for that. It's part of our, it's part of our calling in this moment. I mean, you guys know this. We're pastors. We, we're pleasers. We love to be loved. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't, I just don't, I just don't think we can do that anymore.
3: Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think that one of the um, things that came to mind is, as, as you were kind of conveying that was uh, that the actual biblical narrative doesn't include you come to church to be comfortable. I mean That's the whole the <laughs> plot the, the whole plot line along the way actually works against that notion. But in a consumptive culture where um it's just another good and service, um we've 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 maybe uh, in some places obviously lost the handle on on the storyline.
2: That's right. That's right. And and it the fears that we have about losing our job, they're real. Uh, they're real and they they shouldn't be downplayed um, and you know why did we get into this work in the first place I don't want to lose my soul I don't want to give
1: up my calling I mean, and that's and that's a powerful thing for folks to remember who are in ministry and and, I, and i'm glad you, you don't say it flippantly that it's you know the, because the, the possibility is real and maybe more so not so much in in my in, in our methodist tradition where you, there is a little bit of backing not a little bit we have a lot of backing in in, in in our conference from our bishop to speak out prophetically about these things but other folks in more um non-denominational or, or congregational settings. Don't have that, or they may not necessarily have that support or the or backing. Um,
2: well, maybe to... maybe we're in a moment that we have not lived through before. But in the civil rights movement, during the civil rights movement, you know there were funds to mm-hmm. help pastors who got fired. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, maybe we're back in
1: that moment again. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, there's certainly a lot that we can learn from that moment because I don't think and maybe this is part of the the problem with what's taken so long for us to see action on this is that we I, I don't know if we're trying to recreate the wheel in in the way we approach um social justice issues of today, or if we end up having um, different issues competing for one another, or if it's part, if, or if it's a combination of that and our lack of, of attention span, um, that there's got to be a way for us to keep this conversation going. Because it's been, it's uh, two weeks um, since the shooting, the, the shooting from the time we're recording this, uh, the sh- it's been over two weeks. And I've noticed in the news that we're still seeing and the juicy details come out, and the kind of the sensationalized things that are good for ratings in the news. But but I wonder how long this conversation is going to be able to maintain be maintained on a national level, and then that provides mm-hmm. an avenue for the church to keep this mm-hmm. conversation going. And like you said, Amy, maybe it's not necessarily preaching, you know, about weapons from the pulpit, but talking about fear, talking about what okay. scares us and, and, and why we feel the need to have, you know, more weapons in our basement than, you know, the Sheriff's Department does. Uh great. And how and how did we get to this place, Um, both as a culture and then as individuals who are trying to uh, live out their lives, but then have this fear in the the back of their head. And and at the same time, the community makes it possible for someone like me to understand that mindset of someone else. That's right.
2: That's right, and I um you know I think what we tried to do at God and Guns last time, and we'll try again is to help pastors um take a look- take a hard look at their preaching and teaching and make sure that whenever we're in the pulpit or in front of our people we're creating a narrative um, creating a narrative framework that will allow us to talk about whatever issues are facing us in that moment because it's it's terrible it's terrible to um, go into church on Sunday and have just lived through this this horrible national news event, whatever it is, and for it never to be mentioned, you know, we have to, we have to create a theological framework and a theological conversation that is going to, um, um, invite conversation about what's going on in the outside world. If we don't like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Really?
3: <laughs> yeah. I, I, I definitely think there needs to be, uh, some, you know, calling back to what, what are we doing? Uh, and Amy, um, one of the things I'm curious about it, I know we want to be respectful of your time, but one of the things that happened recently to a friend of mine, um, we've been, I've got a few pastors and former pastors in an little text group and uh, we carry on mostly recently, of course, you know, the issue has been immigration. I've got a friend who works with EIT, Evangelical Immigration Table, and we've been kind of pitching back and forth on those issues and preaching and that sort of thing. Um, but another friend, uh, decided to uh, solicit f- four p- blog posts for his blog on uh, from different perspectives on the issue of uh, guns and God. And he released it, the two episode or two posts uh, on Thursday yesterday and two today. Uh, there's no commenting. There, there's no... And, and so I, I texted him. I said, hey, Marty, why... Do you think that you're not getting any comments? I said it's just been a couple of weeks. He said I missed the moment, and and I'm sitting here really thinking through putting together a God's a guns and God you know event that you're describing, and I wonder how do how how do we keep that in the forefront um, when. Historically, it it happens. Things blow up a little bit. Nothing happens. Nothing gets addressed, and we move on and anticipate. Well, we hope there'll not be another one. And and so I'm I'm left thinking, what are some of the ways that without generating a false kind of moment, how, how do we keep how do we keep an issue like this alive?
2: Well, that's a great question and it's one that i have spent a lot of time thinking about in the last two weeks um and i've i'm sort of plotting things out as they as as the months unfold um God and guns 2018 will be october 11th and 12th and um between now and then um In March, of course, there's going to be the March for Our Lives, which is going to get a lot of attention. That's the kids in Parkland. They're organizing all over the country. Kids are going to walk out. Um, So that will be one thing. Uh, We have Easter and our conversation about new life. Um, We have uh, here at Riverside, we're working on a a video um, with our children. Based on that passage that all of our national news outlets are... Quoting now, a little child shall lead them, um, and we went back and looked at that idea passage, and it's actually the children are leading in a place that's described as safe, with a lion and the lamb lie down together, and uh, this is not about our children are the ones who have to make change. It's about our call to create a safe space for our children. Mm-hmm. And so we're we're producing a video that we hope is going to get some national attention. That will um, hopefully keep the conversation alive. And frankly, I hate to say this, it's going to happen again.
1: Yeah, that was one of the first things my wife and I talked about uh, Wednesday when we kind of noticed that it was you know it was the two the, the two week mark you know and nothing has happened and nothing happened since las vegas i mean you can still go online and and purchase a a bump stop right now if if you want to you could purchase as many of them as you want like there's like nothing has changed uh since the the, you know the previous shootings And, and so you're absolutely right it's going to happen again and and so i i you know i i hope that the church in this moment that when this happens again can in some way, shape or form, continue to speak prophetically, but at the same time call to account our willingness with uh, to keep the status quo and unwillingness to to push for for real change both That's both right. within our communities like you know within my little neighborhood where I live uh, in in my corner of the world, but then also kind of at the at the larger national level as well because it's terrifying it's terrifying to think this is going to happen again because i have a son who's going you know my son he's he's in in preschool now and we're getting ready to do a big renovation to make sure that all of our preschool classrooms are behind secure doors because of things like this and you know next year he'll be in, in in a public school setting and you know it it terrifies me to think that you know he is a a an easy target
2: now. I've been thinking a lot about how it must feel to be the parent of young children right now. You know, I'm not. My kids are older. But um, it must be terrifying. But listen, you know, I'm a Baptist. So I firmly believe in the separation of church and state. And the reason that that was set up was so that, people of faith can act politically with the conviction of their faith Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's exactly why we chose to do this this year, October 11th and 12th why? Because November is midterm elections and the only thing that that's a bad guy with a gun. a good guy with a bump. <laughs>
1: so, you
2: know, how, how are we, you know, how are we helping our people go to the polls in November with a conviction of their faith? You know, pastors have to do that. And we, you know, if we, if we decide to do this, we can, we can help our people make a huge change.
1: So, well, thanks, Amy. And so I'm 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 wondering. So you said you're going to be posting on social media um, a, a link for a form where, where folks can submit their information to get connected with Riverside Church to either become a a, a local satellite or what are, if people are listening to this and and they want to donate you know on Facebook you said you need airline miles hotel points if folks have things that you know resources like that that they can donate or they just want to stroke you a fifty thousand dollar check like you said that you need. Uh, What's the best way for them to get in contact with you or Riverside Church to do that?
2: Uh, the best way to do that is to visit our website. And today, as I mentioned, there will be a form up that I'll be promoting all over social media. And I hope you guys will help me. And it's um, we'll send also an email to the folks who attended God and God's bless time or expressed an interest in, in that. And on the form, there will be like... Uh, I'm interested in being a satellite site. I'm interested in attending in person. I'm interested in giving a scholarship so someone can attend. I have, you know, I own the Hilton Hotel chain and I can give you free hotel rooms. Whatever it is, we're going to try to uh, galvanize the connections that all of us have Mm -hmm. to make this as accessible for people as we possibly can. Even if it's like, you know, you got to tell your congregation you're going, going to New York for a vacation. <laughs> we don't fully know about the power that we, we have and the connections that we have to each right. other. And so hopefully hopefully, we'll find it
1: out. Well, Amy, what were the dates of, the, of, the, of God and Guns 2018 again?
2: So please visit our website. <laughs>
1: October 11 and
2: 12. Yeah. So please please visit our web, website. It's uh, trcnyc.org and uh, God and on 2016. Will uh, 2018 will be October 11th and 12th. Great. Thanks, Amy. Thank you, Amy. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Crackers and Grape Juice. If you'd like to know more about the podcast, connect with your hosts or follow up with a guest or just leave us a message on the speak pipe, head over to crackersandgrapejuice.com. Again, we appreciate you listening. We hope you'll head over to iTunes and subscribe or leave us a review there. When you do that, it helps others find the podcast. Now, Clay Motley, take us home.
0: As always, thanks for listening. It's been a little bit uh, harried around here, and since I'm the, uh, both the producer, editor, and interviewer, uh, I've got a little bit of a backlog. Uh, in fact, I've got a great conversation with Bill Bohr. I interviewed Carlton Pearson. And tomorrow I interview my friend Alan Cross on his reflections on the recent MLK50 event uh, sponsored by Together for the Gospel, or the Gospel Coalition, I think, and the Ethics and the Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. So those are all some things to look forward to. And so uh, hopefully I can, I can get those out uh, before uh, heading out to a, uh, a conference at the end of the month where hopefully I might uh, actually gather uh, another interview or two along the way. So, as always, thanks for listening. Share the podcast, and we look forward to you listening in on the next episode of Pathological, the podcast for the pastor-theologian. Peace.